Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, I'm so glad you were able to make it out tonight. We have a uh, Q&A panel happening tonight. If you're watching online, uh, why don't you wave or, or tell us that you're here, where you're watching from. But uh, tonight's going to be awesome. We have uh, Pastor David and his wife Jessica. We have Pastor Tim and Rachel Gilio, And we have Pastor Daniel and Amanda Vanderklok who are going to be uh, answering the questions tonight. So you guys can come on and head on up. But we are uh, so excited for this series. And it's been great so far and, and pumped to continue it tonight. Uh, y'all have sent in some pretty good questions. They're pretty good. And if you want to send in some more, you can. We have like 50 backloaded. But if you ask a really good question, Daniel said that he'll bump it to the top for next week. So if you've got a good question, send it in by texting, uh, texting into ResLife at 94,000. So at ResLife at 94,000. But we are uh, in for a treat tonight. We got some good questions in store. And uh, so you guys ready? Yeah. Okay, you guys ready? Yeah. You guys, come on. This is a Sunday night Q&A panel. You got you to be a little bit more excited than, than what you were. All right. There you go. This section's all right. That section, you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's better. I think we're ready. I think we're ready. How's everyone doing? Good. Good. Really good. Okay, I want you guys to yell now, okay? I'm kidding. You don't have to yell. <laughs> yeah, Daniel and Tim, you guys were youth pastors. You guys, you guys know how to yell. You guys know how to yell. But uh, we got some uh, good questions uh, locked and loaded, so let's just jump right into it. Our first question uh, for tonight is going to come... Let me pull it up. So it's... Uh, how do you battle depression when you are barren? So how do you battle depression when you're barren? Is there anyone that would want to take this one first? Rachel, go for it. Okay. okay. All right. So, I mean, this one is very personal. And I also want to stretch the barrenness to maybe there's a dream that you've had, you know, conceived in you through the Lord, but it feels like it's never going to come to pass. So I think that you could group this together with not just women wanting to bear children, but people who have a barrenness in something that they believe is a promise or something they've been called to, and they're depressed because they're not seeing it come to pass. So I think this could really answer a lot of that. Um, So I looked at the story of Hannah. When I prayed about this question, I was really led to Hannah. Um, she had the word of God, the stories in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Um, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 1 and 2, and all those numbers. Um, and she really, it says that the, in the word of God that she had a rival in her husband Elkanah's other wife. And so this other wife, whenever they would go as a family, they would travel to the house of the Lord. So it was a time for them to dedicate to worship. And this other wife would come and she would literally like press into her and purposefully cause pain. She would tease her. She would mock her for her inability to produce children. And so what I realized is sometimes even coming to church, you know, in a place where it's like, this is a safe place to let people know that my dreams aren't being fulfilled or I'm not getting that, I'm not conceiving a baby. It can be very painful, you know, in the face of watching other people have that dream come true. And so that revealed that to me. So it said that every time when this rival of hers, this second wife of her husband's would 
press into her and mock at her, it said that she would just fall into a deep depression. She was grieved to the point where she couldn't eat. Her husband loved her so much, and I think that is also what happens in a lot of situations, especially when you love the Lord. The husband comes beside Hannah and says, Hannah, aren't I more important to you than 10 sons? He loved her so much, he would give her a double portion, you know, of of the sacrifice meat. And so she was covered with approval from her husband. He didn't see her lack as her not fulfilling her, her part as a wife. But then she got to a point where she was so depressed. So to answer the depression, this is where I got my answer and my hope was she stopped eating. So I took that as, what else do you do when you stop eating? It's fasting. It's depending on God. So she stopped eating. She wept. So she, and when I look at how she wept in the presence of the Lord, it reminds me of Jesus when he wept in the garden. Such grief, such oneness with the Lord. And she then casted the vision that God put on her heart in that place of weeping, in that place of pouring herself out only to the Lord. It said that she prayed with her heart, her lips moved, but her voice didn't. Hmm. So Eli, the priest saw her, she poured herself out to the Lord and cast the vision for her son that she would name Samuel and said that if you give me this son, I will give him back to you. I will return him to you and he will serve you. So what I saw was she fasted, she got up and did something about her depression. And what she got up and did was she got face down in the presence of God to the point where Eli said that she was drunk and she was crazy. And so she was you know, misunderstood in her depression, but she was pouring herself out and she didn't care what anybody thought. And then it said that she poured herself out to the Lord. She didn't tell Eli what she asked for. She just said, I told my God what I needed. And then she got up and Eli gave her a blessing and said, I sure hope that you get what you have asked for. And she said, may my life always please you. So I saw that she fasted. She got up and laid herself privately before God and only told him her requests. She casted the vision for what God had put on her heart for the promise of a child. So the vision was written and then she promised that she would from then on want her life to please the Lord. So there was a, I felt like there was a switch in a fear of man to what this other wife and what all this pain, all these years of coming to this place of worship, she felt like she was failing. And I felt like there was a switch in that moment. It says she got up, she said, may my life always please you. And she left and it said she ate and her depression was lifted. She was no longer sad. So, I mean, I just, I feel like that's a beautiful layout of how to battle depression is fear, of God only, casting a vision, fasting, and being face down in oneness in the presence of our good father with where you're really at, you know, and you might look like a fool, but he can take our foolishness and turn it into beauty. So anyone else have anything to add to that? Yeah, go for it. Everything she said, uh, and to add to this, I think most of the time when we're dealing with things like depression, it's actually that, that you take every thought captive. I think it's Corinthians 3.10 where it says you take every thought captive that elevates itself above the word of God. And so the enemy would love to see you depressed, 
because you have been framed as a woman to have children. And when that doesn't happen, and then you get the depression comes on you, the same depression that comes on you when you have no money, the same depression that comes on you when you have nobody who loves you, the same depression that comes on you from every other thing in life. And that's why, like, I don't want to put myself in any a lady's shoes, but I know the picture that Paul is painting in Corinthians is every single thought, anything or imagination that elevates against who the Father God is. Because if, if the Father knows exactly what I need right now, I should be at peace. And that's the, the battle of faith. Like my Father knows where I am and he knows what I need and therefore he got me. That's so good. And I love... When I looked at this question, I was like, it's such a good question. But just going, this, uh, Proverbs 13, verse 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled um, is a tree of life. It's, it's this beautiful thing. So this is true with someone who's barren, but this is true in any spot where you've placed your hope and then that thing has shriveled up from in front of you. And it might be a... A child, it might be a marriage, it might be a relationship, it might be a position, it might be a job, an accomplishment that can be stripped away. But I, I love what they said of, all right, you, when you take it to the Lord and going, okay, rather than, and, and Dan Seaborn mentioned that this morning, this, that your identity has to come from God. And a lot of times we place our identity in whether it's in a woman having kids and having this perfect family and having this job, this position, this title. And if our position our identity is tied up in those things, then when that longing isn't fulfilled, we're left depressed. But when we turn and we put our identity and our hope in him, and as they said, take our thoughts captive and bring it before the Lord, Isaiah 26, verse three says that he keeps in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in God. And when we shift our focus from this is what's going to complete me to this is who completed me, who made me, and we take those other thoughts captive, we can be set free from the depression that comes from it. Good to go? Let's go to the next question. Thanks, guys. Uh, how do you reconcile? I love this question. I love this question. How do you reconcile prayer with free will? How can God change and influence people without violating their free will? <laughs> David tainted it off. Well, we need free will in order to be able to choose God, to freely love him. If we didn't have the choice to choose whether to serve God, our only option is we would be robots. So we wouldn't have the capacity to have just the choice to love God. And so if God is the source of love and the source of all goodness, we have the capacity to whether to accept that love or not. And that's where sin and suffering comes in, evil comes in, because anything apart from the goodness and the love of God is that void. And so we have, as in this part in the story of mankind, where Jesus has already been to the cross and given us his grace, uh, we now, we're no longer s- slaves. We have the choice to freely choose God amongst many options. We have a buffet. Will we freely choose God in this whole host of 
options. And I think G.K. Chesterton said, the greatest monument to free will is hell because it lets us know that um, our choices have e an eternal weight. And so I thought that was like really powerful. We can freely choose God or, or we don't have to, we can choose something else. Otherwise you wouldn't have loyalty, you wouldn't have, you know, all of these other um, things. We wouldn't have the capacity to have that. We'd be robots otherwise. Yeah, this is, this is definitely a question that's been uh, debated over the last 2,000 years. And so uh, there, there's much commentary and study and debate that's been, been on this topic. But really the question, the question, we can talk about free will and the sovereignty of God and how they, how they interact. But in this one is, if, is about prayer. And so if we're praying, does that violate people's free will? Because if we're praying for God to act, then how does that sovereignty and free will interact in, in prayer or intercession? One of the things that made me think of was I have kids and I have noticed over the years being working with the youth as well that who they hang out with influences them tremendously. Nobody makes them make bad choices, but the Bible tells us bad character corrupts good morals. And I have seen good kids make really stupid choices because of the people they're around. So when I am praying for people that are not Christians or maybe that are making poor choices, prayed for lots of youth over the years, uh, what I'm praying is that God is going to do whatever it takes to influence them, to help them to make that choice. He can't do anything to make them do it. He can't just say, oh, look over there. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I could take some people's free will. <laughs> I'd be like, nope, not today. <laughs> but God doesn't do that. But I have seen where all of a sudden, somebody who is making bad choices, a good friend steps into their life. Maybe someone from their past, maybe someone that has influenced them before, and all of a sudden, they're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit because of someone now in their life. Now, God's not making them do anything, but it's that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. God says he never leaves us or forsakes us. So he's always speaking to our hearts, always trying to get people to make right choices, always trying to draw them to him. So that's our prayer when we're praying is, I mean, <laughs> I definitely want God to make their choices for them, but I know that's not a thing. So God, God, do whatever it takes to get to their heart. I pray, God, bring someone into their path that can uplift and encourage them in their walk with you. Give them strong Christian friends. Bring someone in their life that they respect, that they can listen to. We pray, God, soften their hearts. So... You know, the Bible talks about how Pharaoh's heart was so hardened, and over and over again, we hear about people's hearts being hardened and not even wanting to receive. So I say, God, you know, what can you do? You know, pray, because God can do any little thing to remind people that he loves them. I was at the hospital one day, I was just going around praying with people, and this lady, I asked, I'm like, oh, can I pray with you? I was handing her cookies, and she's like, Ugh, no. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll pray for you away from you. That's like, you know, I don't need to do that. And she's like, you know why you're here, don't you? Like, uh, you, you tell me, I guess. <laughs> she said, it's my mom. My mom is always praying for me. And you don't even know it, but you're here because of her. I'm like, oh, so you're telling me God's working on you. I got it. <laughs> but those are the little things where God's not making the choice for her. 
but it, it, those prayers are being the influence in their life. It's drawing other Christians into their path because we're always listening to the Holy Spirit, right? So and sometimes when you're at Meyer, if all of a sudden you feel the need to talk to somebody or to encourage somebody or to pray for somebody, you might be the answer to somebody else's prayer. You, know, you always heard about the powerful grandma in the closet, you know, praying for her grandkids and her kids to come back to the Lord. And a lot of times, us as Christians, we are the answers to those prayers by just being that voice in their life. That's good. And I would add on to that. I, I like to use pictures because I grew up in a in a kingdom. So, like the Queen of England would set the precepts for the rest of us. So when I was growing up, I went to school and I was singing songs to the Queen. I knew what to do to get the queen to do what I needed to do was talk to the governor of, of, of our region and the governor would go to the other place and hopefully represent us well. And I think when, when we're reconciling prayer with free will, to me, it brings me back to that place. I mean, God the Father, he has made a system of operation to access him. And then he says, when you pray, I'll hear from heaven and answer your prayers. I mean, you can choose not to pray. That's where your free will comes in. But if you want the Father God to answer your prayer, then he has said, you know, I have even put Jesus to intercede on your behalf. I've even made the Holy Spirit to utter things you can't speak. In other words, I've expanded your way to communicate with the Father when I want things done that only he can do. You know, and I think to me that helps me kind of understand that really prayer is one of the choices that me and you get to have. Because if I don't pray about it, it's not going to change. And there's no other God, even if you killed a chicken like we used to do, a, a God to the witch doctor, hopefully that things do change. People have always come back to, you know what? I've, I don't like that pastor, but when he prays, things happen, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, so that to me helps me reconcile. It's not that God is, is taking away your free will. He's giving you access to an ability that no other divinity or divinity can give to you. I had a really good verse for this one. Sure, I tried to look up, like, can, like, you know, is this okay? You know, against free will. So I found 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then Matthew twelve twenty nine says, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So really we're not going against their free will. We're going against the devil hmm. who's blinded them. So I would take the approach of, binding the devil who's blinding them and then taking possession back of the house of our loved ones and whatever they're fighting. And then Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So then next it's bring the laborers Lord into their life. Cause it's going to be a lot of work praying for that spirit to be bound. Cause it's probably going to be invited right back. So send the laborers Lord Jesus that my loved one's going to welcome the word of God, because faith comes by hearing. So I kind of take a four-pronged approach, like bind the devil in his work, pray for the possession to be given back, and then pray for the right labors, because you know our Heavenly Father is going to send the right person that can soften their heart mm -hmm. with the gospel. And so I think that's not going against their will, because we're just praying against the devil. So that's allowed. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point is to say that we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And so when we're praying for people, I think that's a, that's a wonderful way to think about it is that there are unseen things happening to people that we're praying. We may see the surface level, but there's always something deeper or something spiritual that's, that's happening to people in our lives. I think that's, that's a great close to that unless anyone wants to add any closing thoughts. Awesome. Thanks for clo- wrapping that up nicely. That was a nice little bow. You just tied that up. It was great. Um, how do you, uh, here's the next question. Matthew 5.32 says, whoever marries a divorced woman is committing adultery. I've been divorced and remarried. Is my husband committing adultery? I knew this one was coming. Um, <laughs> all right, so this is a doozy of a question. And... Uh, <clears throat> You really don't care what I have to say. You care what God has to say. And so um, I want to look not at, hey, what's my opinion? Not am I going to cast judgment on somebody? But what does the word say? And she referenced Matthew chapter 5. And in this, um, I'm going to need that. All right. <laughs> uh, in verse 31, Jesus goes through and he up, he, he's in this series of like upping the ante-ish, but really changing everything from actions to heart issues. If you go back to verse 21, he calls them out and he goes, you guys are upset if somebody, you're calling somebody a murderer when they kill somebody. He goes, but when you hold anger in your heart, when you hold hatred in your heart, you've already gone there in your heart. And then he goes through and goes, you guys are upset when someone commits adultery. But he goes, I'm watching when somebody's lusting in their heart. And he takes it from a, you're, you're worried about this letter over here. And he goes, no, this is actually a heart issue. And then he talks about divorce. And he goes, and he calls them out on where there was people that were legalizing adultery. They're going, you know what? If I can just divorce you and marry them, I didn't sin. And, and, and then he goes on and he does it with oaths. And he goes, you guys are saying, hey, if you make your oath like this, then you can break it. But if you make your oath like this, you can't. And he just goes, how about you be honest? And, and he, he addresses this and goes, this is a heart issue. So before I jump into any of these other verses, I wanted to address, this is a heart issue, not a, um, a legal line that you're going to try to ride because that's what he, Jesus was calling the disciples, disciples, the Pharisees out on their trying to maneuver loopholes in the law to sin without qualifying it as a sin and going, well, well I, I did it this way, so then it shouldn't count. Um, but, but he calls them out on this heart issue. Now, in Deuteronomy, the Pharisees mentioned that God had set up a, th- a way for divorce. And he, he had written it. And when they asked Jesus about it later, he goes, it was because of the hardness of your heart. God's desire is not for divorce. Um, in Malachi, it tells us that God hates divorce. God's desire is that marriage be awesome. And if we do it God's way, it can be awesome. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Sorry, we're all over here. Um, he's, he's a... Paul is addressing some, some of these different issues and he goes through and he says, hey, to those, um, 
He goes, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. The word loose there means untied. So he dresses a group of people there and goes, there are people who have been loosed from a marriage that he responds and says that if they marry, they have not sinned. So I'm going to give you a really bold gray answer. Um, It is a matter of the heart. If you divorce someone to marry someone, Jesus looks and goes, you're just trying to put a legal stamp on your adultery. And I was talking to somebody and they go, well, what if I haven't met them yet? He goes, then you're proactively um, trying to legalize the adultery that you're wanting to commit. And he goes, is this a heart issue where you're seeking to bypass the law? Or, and he goes through and there's, you know, whether it's from... Um, different things. There's a couple spots people go, well, hey, I see the exception for adultery. I see the exception for this or for, for that. But he goes, this is a heart issue. And you can't, um, you can't legalize your sin because go- while man looks at the outward, God's looking at the inward. Um, so I would say it's a heart issue. And I know that may not, people are like, but I just want a yes or no. Can I? Um, God's desire is for marriage to be, to be good. And if we do it his way, it will be. Um, and it's worth fighting for. But what, but what you are saying is, is that it is scripturally possible to get remarried in an honorable way if somebody's been divorced. Yes. Okay. But maybe not always. It's a heart issue. I like yes. that. <laughs> Wonderfully gray. <laughs> Wonderfully gray. Well, Raise your hand if you hate gray. If you just hate gray. You're just like, give it to me plain. I, I would rather have a plain. Uh, if you're going to bring it plain, uh, you're going to disagree with Daniel? Okay, let's go. No, 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 no. Uh, I, want it. I want a black and white. But I, but I agree with him in the fact that it's a heart issue. And I think yeah. just to add on to that, Jeremiah uh, 17.10 says, um, I, the Lord, search the heart test the mind. You know, it's like God goes through and he searches the heart. And I would say before you even engage, um, so obviously this, this is from the, the stance of the marriage has already happened. But I think in life, all of us have to continue to be in this place of Psalms 139. It says, search me, O Lord, and know my heart, you know, and point out anything in me that offends you and lead me on the path of everlasting life. I think that's just a great place for us is, as believers to sit, like, Lord, search me. Is there anything in me? Whether it has to do with this question or it has to do with anything else. Lord, is there something in me that you would say it would be better if it would be gone? And then if God reveals something, which newsflash, he will, if we ask him, you know, because uh, I haven't found a perfect person yet, uh, but God will reveal stuff to us. And in that moment, then we have to humbly go before the Lord and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have to say, help us work on this. Help me work on this. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on that? That was a great commentary on Matthew five thirty two. Great job, Daniel and Tim. But I just really loved, I'm sorry. <laughs> we were moving on. So I was just saying, I've actually had that question before. I've read that and I've been like, you know, had my thoughts, but that was, that was a great commentary on it. Uh, we'll move on. This is a question. Why is my wife always right? 
just how God made us. <laughs> because you married up. <laughs> he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Finds favor from the Lord. <laughs> Uh, and cr- okay, raise, of- your, raise your hand if you know your wife's right, but you're like, I'm just going to stick with being wrong and I'm going to pretend like I'm right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm just going to pretend like I'm right even though I know I'm wrong. I'm sorry, babe. She's watching online. I'm sorry. <laughs> she, does, she does my laundry, yes. I have a lot of it. Uh, next question. How do, you, uh, how, do you keep, how do you keep believing God's promise when it doesn't seem to happen? I'll take a stab at this one, um, and I'll make it a little bit personal for most of you who don't know my story. I was born mute, um, not that I couldn't speak at all, but I could stutter. Like To say a sentence would take me five minutes, so I chose not to speak. Well, this is going on, I'm born in a pastor's house where I see miracles happening in the villages. Uh, I saw so many things happen, I won't go into all of that. And I was the guy behind the keyboard when other things was going on. And so I grew to dislike the whole process that God loves us all. I just thought he loved a few and others, he just left them where they were until, I, I feel like it was on me to find him all my childhood growing up. And so the obstacle was always, whenever there was a guest preacher, I was the first in line, the kids passed it, better go first. Uh, so I had the first dibs on every great minister, and nothing happened. Uh, I got so many prophecies. I got so many. One pastor told me like, if I read a, a proverb a day, but in 31 days I would be speaking. It did not happen. Um, and I remember on my 14th birthday, I got up, and my mom was standing over my bed, whipping, because I was talking fluently in my dreams. And that moment, to me, I didn't even realize. Actually, the whole house did not realize how miraculous it was because it was almost like, yeah, now he's talking. He's been trying this whole time, <laughs> you know. But on the inside of my heart, it, it did not take the pain away that I, I thought I missed my childhood. I thought I missed hanging out with other people. I thought, and so this whole time, as I'm talking now, I'm telling God, this late in life, <laughs> you know, like uh, I gotta start making friends all over again. But one thing I'd like to tell you who is listening right now is uh, Jesus tells Peter in the book of John, he said, you're gonna get sifted like wheat. And then he says something else, I pray that your faith will not fail. In other words, he's saying, you may never understand everything, you were so close to me. You're, you're like my son. On you, I'll build my church. And the, he even says, before he says all of that, he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And right after that, he says, you're going to get sifted like wheat. I pray that your faith doesn't fail. You know, thank God that we have a faithful God who even when our faith fails, he's still faithful. And so I remember go, walking this journey where it was very difficult to find God in the dark place. But now when I look back, I actually found God in that place. I got to learn how to play piano. 
I got to learn how to play the bass. I learned all the instruments in the church because when everybody else was going outside to play, I had the opportunity you know, to stay in the, in the building and just learn whatever I needed to. My prayer life was changing, because why? I was listening to my mother every single day from the moment I could understand at 5 a.m. praying. And I don't know, she, I think if, if, if it was because I wasn't believing God planted someone in my life to believe every single day of my life until something happened. And so every morning she'd be up in the living room speaking in tongues, praying, reading the Bible, and all of us would be in the other room like, if we can't sleep, we may as well join her. <laughs> and so we'd all go in the living room and join in. But now I look back in every single moment there, I think God protected me from the hero pastor he protected me from the hero scripture. He protected me from a lot of things that could have been so difficult on the path that he had me on. So and I began to find God that, wow, every time something great is about to happen in your life, every time God is about to transform you from one level to another, get ready for a new environment. Because it may be a desert place, but that's where he will meet you. It may be up on the mountain, that's where he wants to meet you. It may be in the valley, that's where he wants to meet you. And don't let the, the temporal time limit who God is. It takes nine months to have a baby. It takes nine months to have a baby. But there's an extra week, the 40th week, nobody tells you. <laughs> and the baby's really at nine months, but that extra couple weeks is actually very instrumental to the birth of that baby. They can breathe, their heartbeat is there, everything is good, but stay in there for a couple more. And I feel like most of the time when we become believers and we have all these promises, we want them to be for everybody. And yet sometimes the people that receive it before you, you're supposed to join with them and praise God for them. Because the moment is going to come all through your praise, all, you, all through your not giving up, or you have someone like me, my mom was, was not giving up on me. <laughs> and so all of that helped that God had actually surrounded me with the place where my miracle was going to come from. I think that's so, so good. I just look... 14 years of praying for the same thing. But you look in the Bible and there's a bunch of spots where they prayed and it didn't happen. And their response was to pray again. Um, you look as Elijah says it's going to rain and his word was that it was going to rain when he said so. And he prayed and then he sent a servant to go look in the sky and there was nothing and he prayed again. And it was repeated on the seventh time. He's like, there's a little cloud. And he's like, run, here it comes. And, and it, was, it was this cool thing, but you, you watch throughout, there's spots where um, they go to raise a boy from the dead and he lays on the boy as he prays, which is weird. He's dead, this is awkward. Um, no, but like, if you think about it, he went through and he pressed through, did something awkward to appear for nothing. And his response wasn't to go, crud, I feel like an idiot. I just missed it. He just prayed again. And the boy came to life. And you see this throughout where there are multiple times where they went for it and they, it didn't happen. And their response was to keep going for it. And when they kept going for it, eventually we see the answer. 
Those that didn't keep going for it, we don't hear much about them. But I just want to encourage you that if you've got a spot where you haven't seen the promise come to pass, that you get the promise, lay hold of the promise, and don't let go. I love, I love how Gloria Copeland puts it. One time I were in a meeting, she said, you know, when you go to the hospital and they can't figure out what it is, what do they do? Increase the dosage on this, double this, switch this. They stay focused on what the problem is. But when we come to faith in Christ, we want to be like, oh, well, I tried prayer, and then I tried the scripture, and then I tried the conference, and then I tried fasting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if the doctors don't approach our own physical illnesses like that, how much more when we use the same focus of like, you know what, if I'm praying, I can double my prayer. If I'm reading scripture, I can increase on my scripture reading. If I, I mean, if I have to find people who will encourage me at this journey, I'll find people that have success in this area. If I have to read books, in other words, I'm going to surround my mind, my health with this kind of life-changing information until, until I become a testimony for somebody else. When I, when I read this question, uh, I kind of immediately thought of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 3. And a lot of times uh, when we read Bible stories, we tend to read them with the end in mind. So if you kind of think about this from like a fresh perspective, uh, you've got these three guys, they're believers in God, they're told to bow down, uh, worship this statue, and they're like, nope, not going to happen uh, and the king gets furious with him. I mean, if you read it, like he is like crazy mad at these guys. And, uh, and basically the king threatens, heats up a furnace. Uh, it says seven times hotter. So it's like the number of completion. He heats up this furnace and then he makes this comment and says, no one can save you from what I'm about to do. And you have these three guys. So we tend to read it with the end in mind. If you know the end of the story, that's, that's how we tend to read it. But listen to what they say, just, and, and put this in the context of believing something, believing God for something and not knowing the future. So in Daniel chapter three, verse 18, it said, they're talking to the king and this is what they say. But uh, they say that God can deliver us, but then they go, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And it's this idea of like, am I worshiping God to try to get something or am I worshiping God because of who he is, knowing that he's the provider of the thing that I want? And I think, I think the mindset that we have to have, uh, I think we've all been there where we've been believing for something and we're like, God, come on, you know, come on, God. Um, but I think we have to have this mindset of no matter what, like no matter what, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to stay true to him. Yeah, I think uh, Pastor Dwayne's story of being in a boat in the middle of a lake and then it starts to sink. And then he talks about like throwing Daniel off the, <laughs> off the boat in a life jacket. And it, the, the point of the, the story is don't, wait to learn to swim, right? Don't wait until you're in the middle of a lake to learn to swim, right? Learn to swim when you're on shore, right? In a safe environment. And I think with God's promises, so many people wait till they're in the middle of a crisis to start believing. And therefore, they actually don't have the foundation 
to actually, or they don't have the trust with Jesus to actually endure the, sh- the sifting of wheat, like you're t- the, the hardship. And so it's panic, it's desperation, and actually the foundation building that trust with Jesus and discovering what the word of God says and just settling that in ourselves, I find is like that story was just right in my mind when I heard all of you guys talking, like get ready before the crisis comes. Before you need the promise, allow that promise and allow God's word and that trust with Jesus to really, to really penetrate our hearts authentically. I think the perfect example of that is uh, Abraham in the Old Testament, you know, and I love in Romans chapter four, it says that he didn't weaken in his faith, but he grew stronger. So somehow Abraham's heart grew stronger, believing that God is going to bring to the bring the child that he has promised to him. Yet it's year after year after year and he grows stronger and stronger. And I'm like, I just I think the only way to do that is what you're talking about, like having that foundation and then just continuing to believe. And I think also, also for some reason, I feel like I'm supposed to, this is just on my heart. Uh, we also have to make sure we're speaking words of life for whatever that is and having just the, the continual mindset of like, I believe that God is going to provide what he has promised. I believe that God's going to provide, even if you have to write that, uh, Pastor Jeannie, puts verses all around the house. So if you have to put verses all around the house, if you have to write on your mirror, I believe that God is going to provide what he has promised, then write that on your mirror. So when you're brushing your teeth, you're like, that's all you could see. Just put it before you. Hmm. So let, let's, uh, let's say someone uh, is listening, maybe they're here and they're not familiar with this concept of God's promise. Can someone like uh, briefly and clearly help those people maybe understand what we're talking about right here? Uh, Throughout the Bible, there are thousands of promises in God's word. Um, And those are, those are promises like by your stripes, I am healed. Lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. Um, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And now some of those have, um, conditions, you look and you go, hey, you're doing this, you're sowing in, and my God will. If it starts with an and, you should look at the conjunction and go, what's before that? This is part of the deal. But when you look at the promises of God, the promises that are laid on his word, those are what you can have faith for. You cannot have faith for something that's not in the word. If you don't have it in the word, it's hope. Um, hope is a desire Faith is a confidence based on a promise and you can't have confidence based without a promise. So you have to look in and go, oh, this is what God's word says, not just this is what I want. All right, this is what I'm standing on. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about holding on to the promise. Is that enough and succinct enough for you? I think that you? was brief. I think it was clear. And I think we're ready to move on to our last question. You guys ready? You guys ready? Can I add something for last we go? question? Yeah. I'm sure there's, there's, a, there's a person asking, what if I believe till I die? Does that mean God didn't do it? Does that mean God did it? And I think that's why I love what Pastor Dwayne you know, shared last time. We don't know it all. Because when you look at it from the king's perspective, we're a little speck of dark. All we have are testimonies that everybody has been through 
but it, in God, there is no failure. I know that one. <laughs> so if he says he's a perfect father who gives perfect things, even when we don't understand, I have to go back to the same place. I know the source. So he understands. And one day, what I don't understand now, he will help me understand. And that's why Paul says in Corinthians, he says, you know, all of a sudden, there will be a knowing when you arrive in that place. Like, you won't have to ask God, how about this? You're going to be like, you're going to be close with this celestial body that, that all the questions you've always had would instantly disappear. That's great. Can I add real quick? Me and Tim were discussing, we were just reviewing all of our, everything the Holy Spirit was showing us on all of these to this afternoon again. And our eight-year-old daughter was putting her tennis shoes on to go play. And she heard us say, you know, how do you keep believing for God's promise when it seems like, you know, it's failing to work? And she goes, maybe it is happening and you're not noticing. And she ran out the door. And we were like, that's out of the mouth, children, out of the mouth of babes. Maybe it's happening and you're not noticing. So sit on that with the Holy Spirit. Love it. Right, this will be our last question. Uh, does forgiveness always mean reconciliation? No. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, guys. <laughs> the reason being is, you know, we talked a little bit about free will earlier. I can forgive somebody who doesn't want to change and who is perhaps physically hurtful. Yeah. That does not mean I have to reconcile to them. I think one thing you have to do real quick is define what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, I love what Pastor Dwayne says, forgiveness isn't saying that what they did was okay. Forgiveness is making it so you're not the judge over that situation and you're releasing them from that, honestly, so that you can move on more than for them. Forgiveness is about you as a person letting go of a situation so that you can move forward and not relive that situation over and over and over and over and over again. I also think, you know, like using Romans, I think the word reconcile is an accounting word. You get receipts and you look at your purchase account and you have to be able to balance these things out. And I think for the Bible to say that Jesus reconciled us back to himself, he actually means, you know, that on top of the forgiveness that he's given. In other words, he said, I reconcile to myself and people to people. He's almost defining that everything that would hold you back, I've taken away. It's not that I should go looking for the areas of the things that would hold me back are. In other words, whatever would, would separate you from me, whatever would separate me from Jake, he has taken care of. But I shouldn't go in the issues of Jake and try to keep getting hurt. And so I, I truly believe that even when it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's, it's a restoration into us and the Father, the oneness with God. And then it says, if you forgive, I forgive. In other words, it's, it's more your freedom. T.D. Jakes put it I mean, this way. Unforgiveness is like drinking the poison and hoping someone else dies. Yeah, and, and so I think that's a major piece of reconciliation with Christ, balancing the check and the patches. Forgiveness sets you free, and it releases you from the event. Your forgiveness 
does not hinge on their repentance. If it did, you would be a slave to them until they repented. But if they're not repentant, reconciliation may be a really bad idea. If someone is out to hurt you, um, if you do not forgive, you are chained to that and will drag it. When you're holding on to unforgiveness, you're holding on waiting for them to pay, pay you to make it right in one form or another. And if you're holding on to this, it can go 30 years, 40 years, and you're still dragging. When I was 12, this person did this to me, and it was wrong. And you might be right. But as long as you're holding on to it, you stay a slave. And when you forgive and you stop demanding payment from them, then you are able to be free and you are able to move forward. Um, but yes, if, if there are times where if you can reconcile, that's amazing. But there are times where you go, it may not be safe to stay in that spot, but you still need to forgive so that you can be free. That's great. Something I noticed in Matthew 18, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's when um, the masters come to reconcile a debt and he calls out and, you know, he says, you know, in verse 24, when he began to settle the debt, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents, which I think is like 200,000 years wages. It's crazy. It's a huge amount. And said, since you cannot pay, the master has ordered you to be sold with your wife your children, and all that you have. And when I read that part, it really showed me how much the families brought in to unforgiveness. So when you're contemplating unforgiveness, um, it showed the big picture of how it doesn't just tie, like say Tim got offended with somebody in a situation and is holding that in his heart. It showed that I'm tied to that and our children are tied to that. And how much we say in our home when we have an offense and we're letting those words be, you know, thrown out mm. about that offense, our families brought into that picture. Mm. And so it just showed me the, the real importance and how God just wants to heal that. Because so many times Jesus would say, you know, go, go, you know, pick up your mat and go, you are forgiven. And then the miraculous healing would happen. So many times, if you just do studies on that, he, all, he would pair up their healing with their forgiveness. And that's what he really wanted to show is the true healing is them having a one relationship with them, being made right with him and restored into relationship. But I just couldn't believe the gravity of the family unit with them being in debt. That's great. I'd it's a, it's a powerful spot as we kind of um, get to our end. And somebody else asked a question that was really similar to this. They said, do I have to forgive me? And there's a lot of people that are struggling because they're holding unforgiveness against themselves. And one of the problems with that is if I don't forgive me, I refuse your forgiveness of me. You can forgive me and become free, but I still stay bound. In Genesis, Joseph's brothers greatly wrong him. Decades go by. And when they talk to him, they, they, they finally have this encounter. He forgives them, but they don't forgive them. Decades go by again. And when their father dies, they're like, 
oh no, now he's going to kill us. Literally, this was their expectation. They're like, well, let's make up that dad said as his dying wish that he, that he be nice to us. And he looks at them and goes, guys, I forgave you so long ago. And, and, but because they hadn't forgiven themselves, they were struggling with this. And I don't know where you are, but I know that God already paid the highest price to offer you forgiveness. Because he wants a relationship with you he paid the price. And if you have not received his forgiveness, he wants you to. And there are some that are here or that are watching that are going, you know what? How could he forgive me? You don't know what I've done. But he does. And he already said that he loves you. And he already said he wants to forgive you. And he said that he loved you enough to lay down his life and to pour out his blood to pay the price no matter what it was that you've done. And today, if you're here, say, today I want to receive God's forgiveness. I want to know that I'm right with God and on my way to heaven. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Can everyone bow their heads, close their eyes? If you're here, say, today I need God's forgiveness. I want to know that I'm right with God and on my way to heaven. When I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, Three, go ahead and raise up your hands. That's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand and your hand. Who else says that's me? And your hand and your hand. Who else says that's me? Awesome. All right, this is the most important decision that anybody ever makes. So we're going to say a prayer and we're going to follow God's promise from Romans chapter 10. It says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. So whether you made that decision tonight or whether you've done this before, go ahead and join me is where we declare Jesus to be our Lord. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Even when I make mistakes, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe that your blood washed me clean. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.